The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. This is CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I think I actually did the intro backwards there, which tells you that I haven't been doing the show for a week because I've been on vacation, but thrilled to continue our all 32 NFL team talk, joining us to break down the 49ers. Matt Mayoko of NBC Sports Barrio at Mayoko NBCS on Twitter. Matt, what's going on, man? Well, not a whole lot, but a lot, right? I mean, it kind of seems like this, uh, you know, since the middle of March, nothing has gone on at the same time that everything's been going on. And so that's kind of where I'm at, covering the 49ers and being in California and kind of seeing what the local regulations are going to be. And, I mean, the, the one constant is in talking to everybody I know, both with the team, outside the organization, Nobody has any idea how this is going to play out, so we just keep talking about it and discussing it like it's going to play out like it always does, But uh, and, and I guess then we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I, I mean, it's all you can do, and I mean, like, uh, you know, we've gotten a bunch of notes from people who are like, hey, we appreciate you forging on with football as best you can. I mean, we try to acknowledge everything on the outside yeah. and talk about it, but you do, I mean, people do want to focus on their teams because it's a welcome distraction. Debo Samuel, man, I'll tell you what, you, you know, I, this is a team that represented the NFC in the Super Bowl last year and Kyle Shanahan is an offensive genius and they just use a first round pick on a, on a wide receiver than Brandon Ayuk, who I really like. But if Debo Samuel isn't ready to go with the loss of Emmanuel Sanders, this wide receiver group is, is as thin as, as it gets across the league. Yeah, I mean, it, it is from the sense that, you know, very few guys have done much of anything right. in the league. And, you know, Kendrick Bourne is, is a fine receiver. You know, he's a starting caliber receiver, probably borderline, but he's certainly a good third receiver. But then when you look also at last year, there were two guys that, were on the team a year ago at this time that the 49ers expected to be big parts of the offense in 2019, and it never happened due to injuries. Trent Taylor is the best slot guy that they have, and he never played a snap because of a a Jones fracture, which obviously is the same injury that Debo Samuel has. And, you know, he came back too soon perhaps, and, and, you know, there was some aggravation of that injury. They went back in to fix some things. There became an infection five surgeries later. You know, he's not able to even step on the field for the team in 2019. The other guy is Jalen Hurd. 49ers drafted Debo Samuel in the second round last year. Jalen Hurd, tall wide receiver, uh, who was a running back at Tennessee and was basically on pace to set their all-time leading rusher uh, record there for the volunteers, yep. but he, I, I, you know, because of his size, I think the, the thought process was, I want to play football for a long time. And at six foot five, I'm a big target and I'm going to just take a pounding. So I want to move to wide receiver. Tennessee said, no, we want you at running back. And so he went to <laughs> Baylor for his final year and played pretty well. 
49ers ended up drafting him. In fact, they drafted him with the thought that if he had been a running back, he would have been drafted. If he had been a tight end, he would have been drafted. Instead, he was a wide receiver, and he was drafted in the third round. So knowing what you know about Kyle Shanahan, when you hear him talk like that, you kind of understand that the wheels are spinning in his head of, I have this player on my team who's an NFL player at three positions. Now think about what Kyle Shanahan can do with a player like Jalen Hurd specifically, uh, but not only, but specifically when you're talking about two-minute drills and the fact that you know your offensive personnel is pretty much locked in on a two-minute drill, as is the defensive personnel, and now you can move him around and take advantage of all kinds of different scenarios and mismatches and everything else to get uh, what you want it to be at the right period of time to take advantage of stuff. So uh, Kyle Shanahan loves mismatches. He loves using personnel groupings and formations to create the, you know, the one-on-one scenarios that, that he thinks is most advantageous for his, for his offense. So uh, you can kind of see where a guy like Jalen Hurd would fit in to this offense. Okay, so I mean, in your, I mean, in your mind, when you think about Kyle Shanahan and what he's operating with, even though he's got sort of, I mean, look, I, I mean, I like Raheem Morris, Tevin Coleman, um, you know, and and we'll see what happens with yeah. Jim Kennan. But like, I mean, it, it it's not a premier personnel group at wide receiver and, and running back. With Kyle, Kyle Shanahan can overcome that easily enough, right? I, I think well that last year he did not feel like he had the pieces that he wanted for his offense. And still at the end of the season, I mean, you look at the stat sheet and only one team scored more points than the 49ers last season. And only three other teams had more total yards than the 49ers. So when you look at it from the standpoint of Kyle Shanahan, not feeling like this was just a machine, you know, an offensive juggernaut with a lot of explosive players and the team still offensively did what it did. I think the offensive personnel is better this year, even though they lose Emmanuel Sanders to free agency. Uh, but you know, the, the idea of them having, like you mentioned, Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman. And then if Jarek McKinnon can be anywhere near what he was when they got him, now they have an element that they didn't have last year, which is a guy who can run great patterns out of the backfield and catch passes on third downs. So even though maybe the, the name, you know, the star recognition other than George Kittle is not there, and maybe Debo Samuel was could have been on the verge of stardom had he been healthy and made it through a full season, and, and we'll still see what, what he's able to do this year. I, I think that in Kyle Shanahan's mind, he feels like the offensive personnel is in a better situation right now. Well, certainly before the Debo Samuel injury right. than it was last year when the offense turned out to be a pretty good offense. Is this a make or break year for Jimmy Garoppolo, who we somehow didn't mention when talking about the offense? You know, I don't think it is. Now, clearly, they expect him to take a, a leap forward, and, and right. every sign would point to him doing that because of you know, what quarterbacks tend to do in their second full season in Kyle Shanahan's offense. You know, he had a good year last year. Yeah. And you know, did he have a great year? I maybe didn't have a great year, but he had a he had a really good season. So I just don't know 
now that Kirk Cousins is wrapped up, I just don't know where you would go as your backup plan if it's not Garoppolo. So I, I, I think that's kind of overplayed, but again, a lot of it will depend on how this season plays out and, and how he improves or doesn't improve on the season he had a year ago. Yeah, I think we, and I don't think any, uh, any of us, maybe I don't know how this is in San Francisco. We didn't give him enough credit. The fact that he was coming off an ACL surgery in a, you know, still fairly new to the system. I mean, and had almost 4,000 passing yards and what, uh, 30, 27 passing touchdowns. I mean, pretty nice season. Yeah. And, you know, everything, really all the metrics, you know, the only thing, uh, you know, yards per attempt, uh, you know, completion percentage, you know, all, all kinds of things, uh, really looked good even the comebacks in the fourth quarter yep uh the, the only area where you can really point to are the turnovers i, I believe he had 13 interceptions last year that's gotta he's got to cut down on that uh but i think i think he showed a lot of good things last year when you know his basically his entire off season was just working on getting back into shape as far as getting that knee healthy and uh you know wearing the big brace on his on his uh on his uh Need so left knee so we'll see but no, I I think that that's a little bit over actually I think that's a lot overplayed that uh, Garoppolo is in a make or break season. All right, we'll take a quick break. Come back and we'll talk Forty uh, ers defense. The all new Hyundai twenty twenty four Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So DeForest Buckner traded this offseason. Um, I mean, what, what was your general take on how the 49ers approached what they did in terms of, I mean, like, like the, you know, they decide, all right, we're going with Armstead instead of Buckner for what presumably cap purposes. We have Ford. We got Bosa. We can get somebody else in the draft. Do you, do you think they ultimately made the right decision and the right, and had the right process here? Well, I mean, if you'd asked me this before all this played out, you know, if you'd asked me who are the 49ers going to keep, Eric Armstead or DeForest Buckner, I, I I wouldn't even have to think about it. Yeah. Of course they're going to keep DeForest Buckner. I mean, DeForest Buckner is a really good player. The Indianapolis Colts will be ecstatic that he's on their team because of just everything. I mean, I cannot I cannot poke any holes in DeForest Buckner as a player or a person or just you know, the mindset, I mean, everything. He's everything you want in a player. Armstead was a guy who was, you know, 17th overall pick, what, in 2016, I guess it was? No, 2015. And so, yeah, he had 
kind of battled through some injuries and really wasn't all that productive. And then, you know, oddly enough, during a contract year, he puts it all together. He had always been pretty good against the run. He'd always been pretty decent as a pass rusher, but never finished the deal. Last year, he finished the deal, led the team in sacks. So, I mean, to me, it's it's a no-brainer. You you take if you have to choose between one of the two, you pick DeForest Buckner. Sure, that's with all things being equal. Well, all things aren't equal because the 49ers weren't in a position to sign DeForest Buckner, not for the contract they gave. Armstead, which is $17 million a year. Buckner ended up getting $20 million a year with the Colts. Then you add in, okay, the cap money that's saved from that, which could help you sign a guy like George Kittle down the road. Uh, but then they were able to get the 13th overall pick. And then they were able to trade back just one spot. And because of that, they still got Javon Kinlaw, who is a player that they really like and, and put him in a category, you know, coming out of college, very close to DeForest Buckner. Oh, wow. And then, and then using that one pick that they moved back, they were able to trade up and get Brandon Ayuk, a player that they did not believe was going to be there at number 31 overall. So when you kind of let it all sort out a little bit and you see that, you know, they, in essence, got, the two players they wanted in the first round and saved $4 million in cap room. Uh, now it starts to make sense. And so even though I will go to my grave saying the Forrest Buckner is the guy that epitomizes everything you want in a team. If then you were to tell me, okay, you can't have DeForest Buckner, but you have this instead. Now I start to see it. And I say, okay, that, that makes a ton of sense might ultimately not be the right call, but the thinking was was really good. The execution of the plan was good. And so everything turned out after that trade about as well as they could have hoped. Yeah, I mean that, that's the thing is like ultimately you have to say, okay, if we if we try if we try to do one year with Buckner and Armstead and you know and and, and just push this together and see if it plans out, like it that's not a good long term approach. You have to decide can we do it and and they, you come out of there with the top two prospect two of the top prospects you had on your board, um and, yeah. and more cap room. I, I tend to agree with you on that. The Kittle thing is it's Yeah, and can, the one the one thing, Will though, is I don't know how much of, of Armstead's production last year was a direct result of DeForest mm-hmm. Buckner. And so that's something to kind of keep in mind too to see how Armstead is able to do it this year when basically all the attention from the interior pass rush anyway is going to be on him as opposed to all the attention, you know, last year and the three previous years being all on Buckner. Yeah, I know. That's a, that's a fantastic point. And it's, we won't know until the, until, uh, until the games are being played that you mentioned, just to touch on Kittle really quickly. It sounds as if his agents and he are not under the impression, hey, we'll take the a top tight end contract. Is that is that is that what you're hearing as well? I think that's I think that's fair. I think they, you know, in fact, Jack Beck, his agent, uh, told me a, a couple of weeks ago that he he views George Kittle as a unicorn. That you know he's there's just one of a kind. I mean, in in the thinking is that yeah, even though there here's this market for tight ends. The tight end position has about the most difficult job in all of football, maybe other than the quarterback, because you're basically asked, and in the case of Kittle, he, he has done this at a very high level, 
he's asked to you know run the routes and produce like a top wide receiver while also playing uh, the position in the run game like an offensive lineman. And so Kittle is one of those rare cats that, you know, if the 49ers decide to throw the ball 45 times a game, he's going to be a major part of that. If they decide to run the ball 45 times, he's going to be a major part of that. And even though, you know, I forget exactly what he did in those first two playoff games when the 49ers were rolling through the NFC in the playoffs with a pair of 17 point victories, even though he wasn't catching a whole lot of passes because Garoppolo wasn't throwing the ball very much at all. He was still a dominant guy in helping Raheem Mostert run for 200 plus yards against the Packers in the NFC championship game. So, you know, he, and then you, you, you know, aside from that, yeah, I, I, I really pay attention to the locker room and, and kind of how a guy uh, handles himself, how he's thought of by teammates, how he sets the tone, and George Kittle is all of that too. Yeah. So when you look at when you look at Austin Hooper making twelve and a half, or I'm sorry, ten and a half million a year, and George Kittle has made you know not much over his first three years, and is scheduled to to have his roster or his salary bump up to uh, two million this year. I mean, he's vastly underpaid and. You know, is is ten and a half million really the you know the floor when you start to talk about George Kittle? No, I mean I think the floor is a lot higher than that. And whether it's thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen million, I don't know. Mm. Then when you look at the team salary structure and and Armstead's made, making seventeen million, I mean who's more important to the team? And so I just don't know where you come, you know wh- what kind of middle ground you settle on when you're looking at George Kittle and the 49ers. And then, of course, the other aspect, which kind of brings it full circle to what we started talking about, you know, where's the salary cap going? Right. You know, salary cap is, you know, the salary cap isn't going to rise next year for the first time in forever. So how does that impact what a team is willing to pay a guy on a long-term contract? And, of course, Kittle and Beck is saying, hey, don't hold us responsible for an act of God. We still want the money that we should be getting had we signed this deal four months earlier. So there's so many kind of complications to work your way through. Yeah, and I would say, too, just one more thing on Kittle is that maybe more so than any other scheme, his importance to – because Kyle Shanahan's whole thing is, you know, you want – the play action to look exactly like a running play. And with George Kittle out there, it allows you to look like you are going to run the ball every time. And then to have the way that he runs his routes and the way that he does such a good job leaking out and faking on blocks and all that, like that is a really, really key component to what they do on offense. Yeah. And and that is not a, I mean, that is something that not everybody can do, you know, to, to, like you said, fake like you're blocking, carry that out, and then have the athleticism and the agility to then almost, you know, zero to zero to 70, you know, in the snap of the finger, get out there into your route and create immediate separation. So, yeah, no, that's a, that's a very underrated, unspoken until now aspect of, of George Kittle's game. For sure. Uh, okay. So uh, let's, uh, let's get you out on this. What, um, what, uh, what, it's a hard question for the 40, it's a hard question for all teams, especially in this offseason, Matt, but it's really tough with the 49ers because what constitutes a successful season for the team that had a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl last year? Like what is, I mean, I mean, 
I don't, I don't know. What are you happy with if you're the 49ers? I can't, I can't imagine there's anything less than a Super Bowl, but I mean, it's yeah. very, very difficult with that hangover lingering, right? No, absolutely. And, you know, you, you always have to see how things play out, you know, like, and I'll use the example in the 2018 season, when that season started, people were talking playoffs, you know, sure. they, let's see if they can make a deep run. And then your quarterback gets injured in the third game. And then the 49ers are lucky, you know, the best case scenario for that season was exactly what happened. So they could get Nick Bosa at number two overall. But, you know, you, you frame the question, like, what is, what is a successful season for a team that led by 10 points in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl? Well, I guess my answer to you'd be a successful season for the 2020 49ers would be having a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl and having that same 10 point lead when the, when the clock strikes zeros. So that is what it is. You know, right. I don't think there's any, there's no getting around that, that uh, they go into this season fully expecting uh, to win a Super Bowl, and there are a lot of guys who are coming up on the final year of their contract. So you know, I'm not going to say it's either this year or never, but uh, when you look at it, this is the this is the time for them to, to finish the job. And if they don't, it's going to be even more difficult next year. So yeah. um, that that is it. That's that's the goal, and that's probably what's going to define this season because I don't think even just getting to the, you know, not even getting to the Super Bowl uh, would be the goal of the team this year. You know, they right. don't want to become the, you know, Kyle Shanahan. The modern Buffalo Bill something. Yeah, exactly. And, and right now, you know, Kyle Shanahan had a big lead as an offensive coordinator for the Falcons. He had a big lead as the head coach of the 49ers. You know, he's got to kind of get that monkey off his back too. All right, all the answers you needed from the uh, the 49ers offseason. And what is a weird offseason, but one we'll uh, deal with Matt Mayoko. Thank you so much for the time, uh, my, uh, uh, Matt. It's, uh, I, know, I, know, I, I know it's weird there, it's weird here, it's weird everywhere, so we appreciate you taking the time to talk. All right, well, hey, I appreciate you having me on. Take care. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.